Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 209 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Originally, this episode was going to be next week, episode 210. But after we finished recording, I found out something very special. Suma told me that her daughter, Trinity, had a birthday in September. And in fact, that birthday was on September 14th, exactly one week before the episode was to be released. When I asked Suma if she would rather have me release it on her birthday, she quickly said yes. She thought it would be a good way to honor Trinity on her 19th birthday as her family and friends try to get through this first one without her. So right now, I want you to sit back and think about Trinity and her birthday as you listen to Suma, Trinity's mom. Thank you so much, Suma, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me over. So you were just telling me a really fun story about your name because your given name was not Suma, but that's what you go by now. So I need you to share that because that's a great story. Sure. <laughs> Actually, my full name is Sumati. Uh huh. So until my daughter was born... I was Sumati. Yeah. And until my daughter got diagnosed with Red Syndrome, she I was still Sumati. But then when I started having a lot of medical providers and therapists who entered our life, they kept getting confused between Sumati and Srinidhi. So they would always call to say, hey, can we have an appointment with uh, Sumati? I said, no, I can still talk and walk. <laughs> no, it's Srinidhi uh, who needs that. So they would just laugh. And and one day my daughter started laughing at this whole thing. And somehow uh, once I started communicating with all the, the moms and the families with Red Syndrome, they, they kept getting confused between my name and her name. So I just changed it from Sumati to Suma. I said, okay, now now you guys are all clear that I'm Suma and see, she is Trinity. <laughs> you know, it's really funny to me because they don't sound that close, really. They don't. No. They don't. <laughs> Trinity and Sumati, Sumata are not that close. I yes. mean, they both start with S and they both have three syllables, I guess, and end in a vowel sound. I don't know. It's, yes. it's sort of, it reminds me a little bit of my son, my foster son, because my foster son is from Guatemala and his name is Valeriano. Okay. Uh -huh. It's a great name. It is not hard to say. It is not hard to pronounce. I mean, to spell. It is spelled exactly how it sounds. But here in the United States, no one can get the fact that someone has a first name with five syllables. <laughs> It just does not work in their mind. So it's all Valerio, Valerino, Valer it 
they always wanted to cut down one of the syllables to get it to four. Yes. And I started thinking about it and I was thinking, well, you know, even in the story Rumpelstiltskin, still is only four syllables. So that's why, that's like the longest name you can think of. So I think sometimes Americans just can't handle longer names. It just happens. (laughs) It just happens. So anyway, poor Valeriano. We call him Valeriano. We're the only people that do. Everyone else in his life calls him Val because no one can get it. Get the name. No one gets it. He worked whatever job he's ever had. He's been Val. When he goes to the doctor's office, hey, Val. It's And he hates it, too, because my son, Andy, called him Val one night at the dinner table because, of course, he was hearing friends at school say Val. And he looked at him and said, Andy, my name is Valeriano, not Val. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that story sort of reminds me of that. They're like, yeah. Sumata having to be now Suma because people can't get yes. Trinity in Sumata. The thing is now I'm Sumati to my family. Right. But then for my red family, I'm Suma. And for others, I'm Srinidhi's mom. So I have own different variations of names, you know. (laughs) Yes, yes, for sure. That's where now I need to figure out what my identity, when I tell you my story, you will know whether I'm now Sumati or Suma. That's the journey I have embarked. That is. That is a new journey for you now. Yes. Well, why don't you start out now by just telling us all about Srinidhi? Sure. So... Trinity was born in 2004 as a normal, typical, beautiful, very quiet and charming girl. Uh I have an older son. So my son was pretty excited that he has a beautiful sister who's very calm and very happy always. At around age about 14 months or 15 months, we realized that she had few words, but she was not ready to walk. Okay. And we had some some sort of a doubt that her development is not the way it is for a typical child. And we started chasing all the usual panel of testing and what is wrong and everything started coming out really normal. And we were we were wondering what could this be? And the neurologists and the pediatricians are like wondering, she's doing fine. She does, she's a happy girl. And she had few words, but it's just not walking, maybe a late walker. Right. After chasing it for several months, we had one test or neurologist mentioned that, why don't you test this and see if the, this is what it is, even though she's not showing any symptoms. So we had to do the test for Rett syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that came back positive. Even though at that point, she did not show any other delays other than walking. Wow. That was a shock, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. It came as a shock for us. And she was about two years old. And my first journey began. My life changed. Our lives changed after this whole thing. So that was 2006, which I will never forget that day. Yeah. Even though she was fine, and I, I still remember the phone call from my husband when they had called, the neurologist had called to confirm. I was in shock, but she, as a little girl, was still smiling at me, not knowing why mom is in this huge state of shock and in grief. Do you want to talk a little bit about what's more typical with Rett syndrome and why it was so surprising? Actually, uh, the problem with Rett syndrome is they develop normally for the first year and they Mm -hmm. start losing their hand use 
And there is a slight regression phase which goes through. And then is when you start doubting whether there is something wrong and you go through the test. After the regression phase, they either lose their hand use completely. They are nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And some girls can walk, some are, some cannot. And my daughter never walked. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just going to go into that a little bit. It's a little more typical to start seeing that regression between six and 18 months. So it sounds like she was a little bit later in some ways. I mean, the walking was the only thing early on. And it is almost always just in girls. Mm-hmm. Yes, most of it. Yes. 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 And and we were at a phase where even her pediatrician did not know what Rett syndrome was all about. So they said that let's, I Googled it, which was something which I do not recommend any right. do it when they're actually giving their diagnosis first. And later on, I became an advocate. So now I know how to tell the new moms who have the diagnosis. And from then on, it changed. But when we got the diagnosis, all I did was just search for Rett syndrome, which was not that popular at that point. And it's very rare. And the prognosis was pretty bad. Yes, we went through most of that. But still at that point, when you're having a little typical girl in front of your eyes, and when you're searching the internet, that doesn't make you feel good at all. No. And it, it made me go through a different shock. And we had to kind of like get back to some sort of a baseline to start our new life then on. Mm -hmm. You know, it was not too long ago, actually, last spring, our old nanny sent me a message saying, I think you need to talk to this woman. I know her. Her daughter just got diagnosed with Rett syndrome. And and I, I had to very kind of kindly say to her, she didn't want to talk to me. Not now, right? That's that's like not what the person you want to talk to is not the person whose child is has gone already. You know, talking yes. to other parents who have daughters with wet red syndrome is one thing, but you don't jump to my daughter was just diagnosed. Now let's talk to someone whose child has died. Yes, right? exactly. That grieving is a, at a whole different level than mm-hmm. this grief because right now I can say that I have gone through both. Right. Right. And and thinking back to the very beginning, you would not be talking with me. No. You're talking with me now. And yes. and that's what I said to Bonnie, our old nanny. I said, well, you know, there may be a day that she will need to talk to me, but that day is not today. And I, I don't think it's a good idea. And she said, should I have her listen to the podcast? No, you should not have her listen to the podcast. No. Like that's the last thing she needs to do is make it even more permanent and real that my daughter will die right the life expectancy of these girls are pretty good right so it'll be a it will be devastating for this parent to hear absolutely absolutely and and you may not i mean you may outlive your child now but it's not something that is just right around the corner yes Right. So because we're talking today in 2023, that diagnosis was back in 2006. Yes. And Trinity just passed away a few months ago. Yes, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly. And there are many girls, many women as old as 50 or 52, and they are still doing fine. Right, right, right. So let's talk a little bit more about her personality and things like that. 
Sure. My daughter was always very active, very mm-hmm. cheerful, nature loving. So when she was little, all she wanted to do was just go out and be uh, closer to nature, hiking and uh, going out all the time. Very social. Never have I ever seen her to be very serious. Like she can never be serious. Like she's very social. She was nonverbal. Her eyes spoke volumes of words and she will attract you. She'll call you through her intent eye gaze. And and you cannot miss that. Even a person who does not understand her nonverbal communication cues can still not miss that. And that is how she brings attention and starts conversation. And she was always smiling and never have I seen her throw tantrums or cry amidst all her health challenges. So fortunately, she did not have any health challenges or seizures mm-hmm. until she was about nine years old. But that that did not ever bother her at all. She was just she lived her life to the fullest and enjoyed every moment, which was one lesson which I learned from her. Yes. Yes, I'm sure you did. I'm sure yes. you did. Uh, even though she could not walk, she always said, I want to go out and we took her. So she loved traveling. Mm-hmm. So we have taken her to, we've, we've gone on a trip to Hawaii, a couple of times to India, Vancouver, and all the all the beaches and all the wheelchair accessible beaches around in California, in and around California. So it's always nature for her. It's like, I, can, I don't want to be at home. If, if I'm at home, you're going to make me do some therapy. You're going to make me do some classes. So please take me out somewhere. You know? <laughs> I love that. She loved to push the wrong buttons and check what her older brother will not like or will like. It's, it's just, you know, sometimes. So she wanted to listen to Taylor Swift and uh, Coldplay and some other uh, uh, artists, right? And she was just very young at that, point, like seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. When she went to school, they must have introduced her to Kardashians and those shows. So it was once where she was trying to tell her therapist using her eye gaze communication device, just letting her know that these are my new interests and I want to watch the Kardashians. I want to listen to Taylor Swift. And my son just walks down. And she looks at him and he looks at her and, and then he didn't want to say anything in front of the therapist. He, he just walked back right after the session was over. He comes down and he talks to her, uh, letting her know that, you know what, Kardashians and those uh, other albums, they're not age appropriate for you. I think you need to wait for a few more years. So it's like because she was nonverbal, we still treated her as a little child, but he was the only one who treated her as a typical right. adult or the age of, uh, uh, you know. Right. Because you need to wait for a few more years. I will find out the clean versions of all these albums for you when you you are okay to listen. She got so mad, but she would just intently listen to him. Very, she was just like smiling, gave that, that that little smile and was quiet. And she went to school the next day and I got a call from school. What is this that she's mad about her brother? She Her older brother is the best of all in the whole world. Like for her, for her no one else is more special than her older brother. So I got, I got a call from school and they said that, I think she's mad at your son. I said, no, that's not possible. There was no argument or nothing going on between them. I, I did not know. And then when I went to school to pick her up, so the aide told me that, hey, you know what? Did you watch the Kardashians? And she looked at me right away and I said, 
oh, now I remember that conversation <laughs> with both of them. And she was mad that he controlled her and said, no, this is not appropriate for you right now. And she must have told the whole story and they did not understand the context of it because sometimes the communication device doesn't have the vocabulary which she... Oh, sure. Which she wants to use, right? Yes, yes. And and Kardashians was not on her device. The Taylor Swift was not on her device to say. So the moment the eight told that she wanted to watch Kardashians and she gave me that look and I said, oh, now I know that he was upset that it is not age appropriate. You cannot do it. And she has done like se- several things like this, gone back to school and just, you know, told about like about all of us and the arguments and things so i always uh, i always say we need to be very careful and watch what we talk in front of her <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure and i think too when when kids are nonverbal sometimes people assume that they're not understanding as much as they are and clearly she understood a lot oh yes yes and she's very intently watching so i always say that we lose our observation skills with our words, mm-hmm. but they have observation skills and intent hearing, which is like tenfold compared to the ones who can talk. Yeah, I bet so. Yeah, I bet so. Well, you were telling me too, before we started recording about kind of the spot where you're sitting right now and what she did. And there's some pictures behind you for all of you watching the video version. There'll probably be a little video clip about this, being able to see her background. So sure. So as she was going to school and trying to learn, you know, writing and I think first time, second grade, when they asked, what do you want to be? She said that she wanted to be an author and a journalist. Her teacher was like, how do you know about being an author? How do you know about being a a journalist? Right. And and we explained to her what uh, the job is about. And we forgot about that. And, you know, she's going through Rett syndrome has taken over her body and she's having health issues, but still she wants to do a lot of reading. So every day I would read. And that is one thing which I fought with the school to make sure that, you know, she read a lot. And my belief or my goal was for my daughter from day one, the day she entered kindergarten is I cannot take her around the world, but I can bring the world to her through books. Yes. So I did that and I got her a lot of books and I made her read a lot. So I would read to her and she would discuss using her device or sometimes I I can understand her nonverbal cues. And that is how she read a lot. We went through this. She had to go through a major surgery, uh, the scoliosis surgery. At one point, I decided that the school wasn't taking care of her really well. So I started homeschooling her. That's when she said she wanted to start writing. Mm-hmm. So when I said, you want to write, I asked her, what do you want to write? Do you want to write? So I, I gave her this opportunity to write journals every day. Mm-hmm. For her to complete one st- sentence, it'll take about 25 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Because she has to string words and she's using her eyes to type in her communication device. And you have to decode and interpret while she's writing because there are times when the device will pick up her wrong eye movements. Sure. And can have incorrect words. So I told her, let's practice writing one sentence a day in your journal. And you let me know how you want to write those sentences. And, and she slowly was doing it. And then she kept telling that I want to write. 
And I told her, okay, sure, you, we can do the writing. I didn't take it very seriously. I said, now I'm going to, uh, now we need to focus on your writing skill. So now you, you're okay with the listening, reading comprehension, you're able to answer, you do well in school. So writing is a whole new skill where you have to let people know what your thoughts are, what your opinion is. Mm-hmm. And she said, I want to write a book and I want to be an author. So from third grade, when she was in like ninth or 10th grade, she said, I want to be an author. We were surprised that she still had the same passion and she wanted to pursue that passion. Wow. So I had to program a lot. And I was a software engineer before my daughter was born and I quit my career after her diagnosis. So I started programming words and device pages. So, you know, her vocabulary is expansive, but she cannot use it because of the limitations of the device. So I started researching and I gave her a keyboard and I asked her to practice using those keyboard using her eyes. So that's the journey which started slowly where she started learning how to use the keyboard to write sentences. Once she slowly started writing, so I told her therapist that let's focus on her writing every day. Without her knowledge, she started describing the characters in her story. That was first thing she said. I I have like two girls and two boys in my story. So I told her, do you have a vision of who those characters would be? And she said, I want a description page. So we said she, every character she, she told this person would have hazel eyes. This girl will have brown hair. So it was like to the T she described everything. And this was all using her eye gaze. And when I say this, it might be the communication is like, oh, that's fast. No. Even to describe a character, it'll take a week for her to type every sentence like hazel eyes and blonde hair. She uh, wears a crossbody hatchback or backpack and, you know, those kind of things. So slowly she started first building the characters. Then she started writing adventure. So this is like about two girls and two boys going on an adventure. That's what the story was all about. So she it took about a year and a half. To actually finish writing this. Wow. In the meantime, she has already had like a surgery, a lot of health issues. She took a break and then she came back. And then someday she would say when she had a seizure, she would say, I have, I taught her this statement, writer's block. So every time she doesn't want to write, she'll just say, I have writer's block. I was like, (laughs) okay, fine. (laughs) It's just that you don't want to use your device. So you're just giving it as an excuse, you know, red syndrome is like apraxia. So we cannot put in words in her, like it has to flow through her uh, system and come out. So it has to be natural for her organically, her reading it. Well, after a year and a half, I had like this 45 pages of her words. Mm-hmm. she edited re-edited she was not happy again she edited and she kept editing and then she said now I'm done and I didn't take this seriously I said okay you're done let's now focus on something else she said no I want to be a published author okay I still remember that day I still remember that day and I didn't say yes to her right away I was like how can I do this sometimes the world is a little cruel to the nonverbal disabled children where I have to prove that she wrote it on her own. And I do not want 
her reputation, you know, people to question that did she really write it? And I was her advocate. Right. I was very passionate about all these special needs, you know, kids. And I myself was into counseling other parents. So I told her, I will think about it and I will let you know. And then we had to have a conversation with her. I said, is it okay when you go put your words in the public eye, you should be able to take criticism. You should be able to take questions. And are you okay with that? Right. She was a very pure soul where she never judged anyone. There were people, many of them who would give her the stares, the looks, the judgment, but she didn't take anything personally. And all she did was give them a wonderful smile back. Mm -hmm. So when I'm asking a person like that about this, she's going to say, it's fine. It's me. I have done it and I want to be a published author. So I told myself that, okay, I'm going to start researching on how I can publish this. Do I need an editor? I, I have no idea on how to do all these things. Right. And um, that's how she taught me a lot of life lessons for me. She made me do that. It, it was like I was holding her life and her heartbeat in myself. And I was actually living her life. She was living her life through me or I was her advocate, you know, until her last breath. Mm -hmm. I researched and I realized that Amazon has. So and, and she had this thing of I want to have it in Kindle version. So any of her friends who want to read it through the communication devices should be able to read it using technology. So it should not be just a, a hardcover book or just a paperback version. Mm -hmm. So uh, after that, I realized Amazon does publishing. Yeah. So I approached them and I told them that I, I, I was wondering how to do this. And I was able to do both the Kindle version and Amazon version. Oh. And on May 23rd, and she said it was a gift to my dad. On May 23rd, it was her dad's birthday. And that's when we published it the first time. And she was so proud of herself. I was proud um, that I was able to do it. Yeah. What's the name of her book? It's actually... Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's totally okay. Extraordinary Wild Adventures by Srinidhi Balaji. It's on Amazon. Oh, Extraordinary Wild Adventures. Yes. I love that. Yeah. That is amazing. She has a picture. So she, I asked her, do you want to have a, that's why this t-shirt would say, I'm a writer. I dream while I'm awake. Her, her teacher, who was her mentor, got her this T-shirt and said, okay, now I have I have a student who's a, uh, an author and I'm going to be very proud and I'm going to have a signing event and everything. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so when was this? May 23rd, what, what year? This was so 21. 21. 21. Wow. What a big day that was. Yes. Sure. And we were all very proud. And I did not have any expectations of how many are going to buy the books or anything. I made sure that her dream came true. Yeah. And that's what she wanted to be. And she wanted to be a published author because we were going through a lot of struggles with schools and getting her high school diploma. Uh, that's a whole achievement, which she did. Unfortunately, she was not here to get her diploma. So uh, this book was like, it became very popular and it became an inspiration for a lot of other girls who have Rett syndrome too. So they thought that this was not, you know, you weren't, you would not be accepted. Yeah. There was no criticism. I had, we had a written, a little excerpt written in the back of the book on exactly how she wrote this book, how she used her communication device and how she used her eyes to type every word. And this was just 
her words and nothing was edited or changed. When I actually asked her, do you want a picture of yours on, on this? She wanted her picture on the cover, but not her real picture, but the cartoon thing, which she had it on her uh, book cover. Her therapist came and talked to her on how you want to portray yourself in that cover. All of us assumed that she wanted to be in her wheelchair, that position. So her initial drawing was a, a girl, similar to her features, my daughter's features, and she was in a wheelchair. That session was about a an hour and a half when she communicated to her therapist that I do not want to be this way. I want to portray who I am inside. And she actually has a picture of her. She wanted to be standing. So I said, okay, do you want to just stand? And the picture uh, cartoon should be a standing uh, figure, right? She goes, no, it has to be walking. So I want to show the world that I'm actually, I can walk. So it, uh, so she wanted like one leg in the front and the other one's back. So it's like a walking posture. So then I told her about, uh, I asked her about like, you know, what outfit and she explained everything. So how about, uh, then she said, she said, I want to show it as me waving to the world. I was surprised because Rett syndrome, the first thing is you lose your hand use. Mm -hmm. So she cannot use her hands, even though her hands are normal. It just doesn't happen. So she wanted a waving picture of hers. Mm -hmm. And we did not think of it. We thought that she just wanted a picture of her on her book. And that's about it. But we never thought of it this complicated. And this kind of like shows what she is inside herself uh, and what she wanted to show the um, world. And that's how her book was published. Oh, that's just beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Oh, wow. Thank you. So do you want to talk now about what kind of happened health-wise towards the end with her? Mm -hmm. Sure. So my daughter did not have any hospitalizations or anything. She was, she used to have seizures, but that was not like a big deal, a big deal in the sense in the Red syndrome world who would have like uh, 80. uh, uh, Sometimes when I say, when I say I'm okay, that means it's not the normal. Okay. It's the okay. Okay. The special, uh, special (laughs) needs, the medically fragile world. Right. I was thinking that as you said that, like she had seizures, but that wasn't a big deal. And I thought, huh, that's (laughs) not what a lot of my families would say. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to say this, like, I mean, this is my first ever, um, Stepping out into the normal world, which I will let you know about my grief journey. Yeah. So she was doing, she was doing fine. It was a normal day. She had finished her homework and she had written a, a, since she had started taking her journalism classes, she had to present about reviewing Stephen Hawking's uh, movie, Theory of Everything. So she had to record her presentation for the day after in her, for her class. And pretty much she had a normal day. She went to sleep and did not wake up. Really, and my husband or myself, one of us, we all, we usually sleep next to her. Usually, it's ninety percent of the time it's my husband, and because we want to make sure that she's she doesn't have any other seizures or anything. Usually, she's never had one, and he had his arms around her, and she was sleeping peacefully. We thought she was sleeping, but no, she had already passed. Yeah. So hard and so shocking and sudden. Yes. So just no warning at all. Hmm. No warning at all. And she did not have a seizure. She was sleeping like 
she was sleeping. Uh, so sometimes when she has had like any pain or any of this discomfort due to Rett syndrome, so her legs will move and her comforter would have just like moved. And she was sleeping like an angel, very peaceful, uh, very, very peaceful to watch that. And we were in shock when we saw her that way. Right, right. I'm sure it was horrible. Do they know what happened? No. Or not really? Not really. So when we called the paramedics and I did the CPR, they came and they said, no, she's been gone for three hours now. Wow. So that was the beginning of your grief journey. Yes. We talked about your big transition that you had in 2006. And then this one just happened three and a half months ago, right? Yeah. I was an advocate for her throughout her life. And I did not think twice about Rett syndrome. I was so busy doing the care. I quit my job. I had never left her side at all. I was her primary person to care for either me or my husband. We never had a nurse or anyone. Like we had a nurse interim, but I've never left her. Like my husband had to literally push me out to go and meet friends. So I get that like an an hour break. That's Mm -hmm. how hip jointed I was with my daughter. Mm-hmm. And this came as a shock. I was, I, I would think that, oh, when probably when she's 25, her health will deteriorate and maybe palliative care and then you're ready. And, you know, that's, that's what I, I was prepared. Was planning for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, not for this kind of passing. So after that, the first couple of months was, I was in, in shock. And, and the first ever time I was even away from her was the day when she was taken out from this house. And I did not even know how I survived those two days when we had her celebration and then we had all her final rites. I was in state of shock for almost a whole month, but we still had to do things for her. And I don't have family here. So it was just my friends who supported us. And it was a whole new learning on doing things here in this country. Yeah, I never had a clue on, you know, how to do all of this, these final things and, you know, clearing paperwork and getting permits and. And you never thought you would have to, at least not now. Yes. Definitely not now. Because how old was she when she passed? 18 and a half. 18 and a half. That's what I was thinking about 18 or 19. Mm. Yeah. So just so shocking, especially because. She's now taking classes and trying to study journalism. And we talked earlier about that location that you're sitting right now is where she wrote poetry. She loved to write poetry, too. So she just seemed to be. That was her last poetry. Yeah. She just seemed to be sort of in her prime a little bit, right? Yes. Coming to herself. Yeah. She actually exited like a rock star. Yeah. You know, like how we see sometimes you lose your market when you're an artist. And you're at home, retired, not knowing what to do. But she just exited as a rock star in her prime time. Yeah. Almost like she did a mic drop, right? Yes. Like, okay, here here I am, mic drop moment. It's at her yes. peak. Her peak. Yeah. And I did. I, I had to, I started reading a lot of grief books. Mm-hmm. I started like, you know, trying to figure out what this is all about and how, how to, how to even start this because this is a compound grief for a parent like me mm-hmm. because we've already gone through the everyday trauma of carrying a medically fragile child 
and then losing them is a whole different level of grief yes and when you when you are going through that kind of a grief when people come up and say oh she must be in peace she's not uh, she's pain free yeah. those kind of platitudes really make you feel like i could have still had her for 20 more years in her best quality of life right and that makes me feel like what do i respond how do i respond to such and i took it i i, I said that's fine you know that's the way you guys are me it's well yeah. intentioned and, and it is well intentioned it is yes. well intentioned it's it's very funny because i was just at a bereaved mom's night out that we had and they ended the night out by playing this beautiful song and it's about you know your child dying and not being in pain anymore and not having scars anymore and not having this that and the other thing and, and i just couldn't relate you know first of all cuz my son was totally fine came home from soccer practice in a car accident died there's yes. no you're not in pain anymore or you don't have scars anymore or you don't have this that and the other thing i couldn't i had a hard time relating to that song really at all and then and it's interesting because you don't relate to it either exactly and you had a kid that had a diagnosis i mean that she obviously wasn't diagnosed at birth she was diagnosed at 2 but she had this disorder from birth and you still couldn't relate to a song like that yes so these these platitudes that people try to say and it's funny that they picked that as the song for us because i was talking to some friends later i said i bet half of us or maybe even more in that room or we were outside actually at that point didn't actually couldn't really relate to that song to that song but it's interesting because i mean you can't even relate to it either i i yes. yeah and something which my daughter again taught me that's the journey i am i want to do or make changes in my life is i'm still in touch with all the moms who knew my daughter and me i will be still an advocate for these families because that is something which keeps me closer to my daughter right and i miss doing that i miss working for i was not working at all i was always with my daughter but i would help advocate for these families but now i will take it formally and do the advocacy but while i was doing it i read through a lot of grief books i have read through i've listened to podcasts and many such things about grief conversations i found that there is never a discussion about bereaved parents with child with a medically disabled or a fragile a complex needs and that kind of gave came as a root shock because we are already isolated mm -hmm. since the diagnosis we have our own little world where we are struggling to fight the systems we are struggling to fight the the school districts the medical providers making sure that we are keeping them alive every day and to the best of our uh, abilities yeah and not just alive but thriving right yes yes mm -hmm. and that's our sole purpose in life and when i started this journey and when i started looking for such books or even such conversations i haven't found any of those mm -hmm. even thoughts or any of the moms who have talked about it and i feel like oh again have we fallen through the cracks again are we isolated in a different level of grief it's like a compound complicated grief i don't see even books mention about bereaved parents with medically fragile kids or disabled kids did you listen to my earlier episodes have you listened to my second one 
Not 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 all of you, them. You, actually. Yeah, you you should. So it's very it's so funny that you say that because when I started going to Starlight Support Group, we went to a support group and there were only. In our parent group, there were lots of parents, but everyone had lost their kids when they were adults except four of us. So there were four of us who lost missed kids. One was lost. He was a little boy. It was had heart disease and did not survive after heart surgery. And then the two other girls were just like you. And that's so I had a, a daughter or a friend whose daughter Willow died. And she, Willow died actually two days before Andy two days exactly two days before and she was seven years old and she had spinal muscular atrophy so very much reminded me of your serenity because you know intellectually she's like all there right but she couldn't communicate and she couldn't move around and she couldn't pick her head up and so anyway and that's what's funny too is they drew her name is willow and they drew had a picture of her and when you were describing the picture that she made of herself they have a picture of Willow, like Willow as she would have been with her arms up in the air and standing with her beautiful blonde hair. So that and then uh, Kian's mom, Stephanie, who's been on the show actually several times and is now um, program director at Starlight. She lost her daughter, Kian. And that's one of the whole things on that episode was us talking about her trying to find her purpose again after Kian's death, because that's what she was. She was Kian's mom. She was a special needs mom. And that's what she did. So I, I so appreciate having this conversation with you and, and encourage you to listen to Kian's mom and, and Willow's mom. Kian's mom should be episode two. Willow's mom took a little longer to be on. <laughs> so you have to search for that one. But yeah, it is it is a struggle because it's more than just grieving your child. You're grieving yourself. Yes. And I still don't know, do I really go into the, so I'm right now doing a certification course to help other students with communication systems. Mm-hmm. And I think that's my passion because I used yeah. to homeschool my daughter and I love teaching her. I love teaching her, uh, even though she was nonverbal, that, that empowering a child who does not have a voice was always my passion yeah and i am doing a certification course to get a license to work with other girls and other kids who are nonverbal but i've never had when people say self care i don't think my self care was my daughter yeah it's like being with her gave me the strength and gave me a motivation to live and challenge myself. And now when I think of it, when I was really down, Red syndrome hurts me more now than what it was when she was with me. Because now when I go back to all her pictures and her videos, it's like, wow, she was in a lot of pain. Yeah. And, and still she was smiling and she still was there. And The first month when I did not want to step out of the house, my little girl's voice actually was in my brain. It's saying, mom, you made me walk after I had a seizure. You made me go through classes after I I was not doing well. So it's time for you to get up and move. And, And now I feel like she's become my mom and I've become like her child to say, I hear that. I hear that voice. It's like, I did everything. I was nonverbal. I could not express. I still did everything. I finished my sociology class, my creating writing. I finished my high school diploma. I did everything. And now here you are grieving. You're supposed to get up and just make me proud. That is the voice which I keep hearing over and over and over again in my brain. 
I love that. I love that motivating voice that she has. <sighs> wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, that that little girl, she was always like that. She would always check to see, are you okay? And I think to make her proud, I need to make sure that I'm up and moving and I'm doing something. It's not, I should be doing things 24 hours a day, at least an hour of walk or hour of doing this advocate or yeah. doing things. I should be doing that just to make her proud. When she was able to fight a disability and still live her life to the fullest, I think it's one way to make her feel her life and honor is for me to be doing what she did. Mm -hmm. So she's just an example for you now. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she's pushing me. She uh, is because even when I sit, I can see those looks. I, I can still, I haven't moved her chair. I haven't moved any of her thing, you know? Uh, and, I, and I want that reminding of like her looks and her smile is like, you were just sitting here crying. You're not supposed to be doing that. You have to get up, move, you know, do what you're supposed to be doing. Well, she's really a brave, strong girl, isn't she? Yes, of course. <laughs> and so determined. I love how, how you advocated for her so much. I mean, the book was... What an undertaking that was. Just beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. And uh, and she actually, so we, we, the school did not accept her doing her actual high school diploma. So I fought with the school. Like I enrolled her in a private school and she did an online schooling. She was just about to finish her high school diploma and she passed. So they actually gave her a diploma. Do you, do you want to see the one which what I have done with her diploma? Sure, I would love that. What do you do? So. Oh, I have to describe it because most people aren't going to be watching the video. So it's an honorary diploma. And then it's got she put her picture on the side with her name. And then the other one, side has a tassel. So yes. you even got the tassel for the year. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And and I wrote, so she always made fun of all these doctors. So uh -huh. she would always love having the, a stethoscope around her. So I said, are you going to be a doctor? He goes, no, I don't like doctors because that's where I keep going. <laughs> so that was the smile when I, when I took that picture. And then I wrote, she's an, she actually has a blog. Author and a blogger, author and blogger written yes. down there too. Oh, I love that. She had a blog right before. So she wrote a blog, two blogs, and then she passed. So she was a blogger too. Mm -hmm. Can you still read those blogs too? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So how do you find those? I will send the, the, the link. Uh, it's on Vic's site. So okay. I can surely send you the link. Oh, okay. and then so everyone that's listening, if you want the link, I'll have it in my write-up that I do that will accompany this. So you can read her writing. And we'll also have the Amazon link to her book if you want to take a, a look at that and get that. I mean, she's just an inspiring, inspiring girl, but really had an inspiring mom, I have to say. <laughs> One of the uh, friends of ours asked that, did you question Rett syndrome or how you wish she was a typical girl? Actually, my answer, to my response to that is, if she was a typical girl, I don't think she would have made an impact in many lives. It was so there were so many other red moms who now are inspiring to do some things with, with them, like the travel blogging and things, whatever Srinidhi was doing. 
Mm-hmm. I always say that she came into this world with a purpose. Yeah. She achieved that in in the short 18 and a half years. She wrote a book. She became a blogger. There are so many lives which she has made an impact on. And I do not think that I would trade that for anything because I was blessed to have such a girl in my life. So there was a reason why she came here with a certain purpose. Yeah, and I absolutely, absolutely agree. She did have a purpose and is such inspiration for other girls with Rett syndrome. I just think they've got to think now, if she can do it, maybe I can too. There have been many friends who have come up to me saying that, okay, now we're going to start traveling. We're going to take our daughter and create adventures. And I, I feel happy that, Srinidhi is an inspiration that way also. And when her book was published, there were other neurotypical little kids. They wanted to start writing and do more journaling because they realized that a a girl can use her eyes to write a book. Why not me? And when my son was grieving, he came up to me and he said, I think she achieved more than what you, me, and dad could have even totally uh, uh, achieved uh, together could have achieved because she was here and her days were always not perfect, but she still made so much impact and she finished completing her book. That was her passion and she did that. And she got her high school diploma and she finished everything and then she just left like a rock star. Yeah. The mic drop moment, right? Yes. The mic drop moment. (laughs) Oh, is there anything else you feel like you really wanted to share with people before we close here today? I just wanted to probably say something where I feel there are other bereaved parents with special needs kids, like, you know, who who I feel have to come out and find the purpose of their life. And that would be my mission if I can even have like a, a support group for them, because yes, we are already isolated. And we are now in this state of grief and shock that I wish there are more parents who can kind of like come together and share their experience while they are trying to find a new purpose of life. We don't even know what our life is going to be. It's like the whole cards have been shuffled. I always say my address book has gotten shuffled. Mm -hmm. It's changed. My phone contacts were only her doctors, her providers, her therapists, her teachers, and that's about it. Now, actually, I do not have my own. So am I Am I in this red world, red family, or am I in the normal family? Because I'm too late to join this show, being in normal family gatherings, because all I say, like when you said, when I, when I said that, oh, she just did have seizures, but not that many. Yeah. That is something the normal world cannot understand when, when you say that. that oh, they weren't a big she, deal. Yeah. <laughs> She said, wow, she's so rude. Like she's just saying seizures are not a big deal. That's a that's a laugh in our uh, red world where like, oh, it's just one seizure, 15 seconds. Okay, off we go to the next trip. You know, that's how uh, we were. So that is something where we are kind of like that in-between world. And I hope to one day be okay in this new world, which I've been thrown into, but I will never uh, leave the advocacy or being in support for my other uh, red families. Mm-hmm. And I, that's so common because as a pediatrician, I see that too. I see that side and it is hard because you've been in that world for so long and you get so many friends and 
I mean, your support system really ends up a lot of times being through hospital systems, right? Through the doctors, through the therapists, all that. Those are your support people. And when they're, when your child dies, they're just suddenly gone. They're gone. They're just gone. And you feel really, really lonely. Yeah. I write a lot of journal entries when I walk now and I have been writing a book, uh, not a book, My, I, I can it's that many pages I have written in these uh, three months. I always go for a walk and then I come back and write my journal entry and my letter to my daughter. And I have written a lot of them. The first ever sentence which I wrote in my journal is silence is deafening. Freedom is imprisonment. Yeah. Because once those monitors and once those, she was nonverbal, doesn't mean that when you are, even though she was nonverbal, the whole house was hustling and bustling with all her activities, her things, and everything came to a screeching halt. And the outside world thinks that now I have the freedom to get up and go wherever I want, but that's not the truth. My heart is always there with her. And that's why I said freedom is imprisonment right now. Right, because you do feel just paralyzed and imprisoned, like you don't know what to do with your life now. And the day I heard one of your podcasts where you had mentioned about a little yellow flower, yeah, a tulip in your backyard on yeah. Mother's Day. I think this was Mother's Day. It was Mother's uh, Day. Yeah, there was a yellow tulip in the middle of the yard. Yes. And that was my first Mother's Day without Srinidhi here. And I was walking and hearing the podcast and with tears in my eyes, I was like, oh, so is the, are these the signs which I have to now look out for? And I, I do not know how to do all these things. And then she, my daughter loved butterflies. Her room is like filled with butterflies on her wall. And there was this little colorful butterfly, butterfly which just like went past me. And I said, ah, so now this is what you're you're getting that affirmation that I'm here and it was right after when I was that's why I could I exactly remember your uh, that yellow uh, tulip, tulip yeah. uh, under your tree which mm -hmm. was like a which was a very unique place you have never seen and nope. I, you would describe it and that was exact experiment experience I had yeah yeah because we were starting to leave that day because I hadn't taken a picture and I said stop 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 and I made Eric stop back the car up so I could go take a picture of that tulip because it just meant so much to me that a, a tulip just appeared in the yard under the magnolia tree for unknown reason. I don't even know <laughs> where there are tulips planted close by that could have happened. So exactly. that yeah. was, that's a nice reminder for me today too. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you so much. I just loved hearing about Trinity today. Thank you. Thank you. What a joy. What a joy. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I hope uh, probably to meet more moms who've had similar experience and probably find a purpose together. Yeah, I'm just going to invite people, if you want to get in touch with Suma, feel free to write me, okay? You write me at marcy at andysmom.com and I can forward things on to her. And I don't know that we want to publish your email to the whole world right now, but you can, but I can filter things for you. If you feel like you want to get in touch with her and be able to chat with her some more, I bet I can get you together. Sure. That would love, I would love to do that. And let's hope my address book gets filled with new contacts. Yes, I hope so too. I hope so too. Thank you so much for having me uh, at your show. Yes. And thank you for coming on.
for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.